Welcome to the Church for All Nations podcast, streaming live from Tacoma, Washington. We're so excited you joined us today. We hope you're encouraged by this week's message. Yes, well, happy Sunday, July the 5th. I hope you had a, uh, a beautiful July 4th holiday. Uh, I know me and my family, we sure did. By the way, my name is Pastor JF. Just so honored and grateful that you'd spend part of your holiday weekend with us. You know, for us, we had a great time. We can, you know, this, this is a great weekend. And not only that, it's been a great week for us. My in-laws uh, are in town uh, from the great state of Georgia. They came up to the beautiful Northwest to relieve themselves of some southern heat. Uh, and I know that they're really enjoying themselves. And I we're grateful that they're with us and my kiddos, man, they're so happy that G-Daddy and Barbaroo, that's what they, that's what all the grandkids call them. And maybe we can explain that sometime, but you know, grandparents all have different nicknames and stuff. So G-Daddy and Barbaroo are in town. And uh, in fact, I think they're watching right now and, and hanging with our kids. And so it's just been a great family time. And yesterday was beautiful. And uh, just having so much fun, and today's July 5th, and of course, those of you that uh, are from the Pacific Northwest know that July 5th is our official summer start date, okay? Uh, now, if you're watching from somewhere else, I know maybe you started summer six weeks ago. That's when we start here, because that's when it actually starts to kind of somewhat feel like summer. We break 70 degrees, and everyone, you know, is laying out in the grass and, and going swimming in really cold lakes. So, uh, but anyways, uh, you know, my kids love this time of year. They love the pool, man. Oh, so pools are open up around the uh, Northwest. My kids are all about it. And in fact, I was, uh, I was thinking about, you know, I was thinking about some of our memories uh, as my kids growing up swimming in pools. And in fact, I was thinking about it this week and my daughter Israel, who's like this tall now, but when she was like this tall, I think she was probably three years old, uh, we were uh, visiting her grandparents, G-Daddy and Baru, in Georgia. And in Georgia, uh, a lot of people have swimming pools. And so they have a swimming pool. They don't have just any kind of swimming pool. They have a swimming pool with a diving board. Oh yeah, what a kid's dream that is. And I can remember, you know, up until, you know, about four years old, little Israel, my daughter, she saw that diving board and she saw her big cousins jumping off that and diving in and doing flips and and I can remember having little conversations with her, like, Dad, I'm, I'm going to do that someday. I'm going to do that someday. And so uh, one particular summer, and I feel like she was probably four years old, it was time to take the plunge off the diving board at her grandparents' house in Georgia. And I can, I can remember vividly that little girl in her little mermaid swimsuit and with her big pink, you know, goggles on. And, you know, I, Pastor Ashley has every floaty that you can find on Amazon attached to this little girl. I'm talking water wings and a thing around her waist. And I'm, I'm telling you, she was not going under. She was not going to drown. I tell you that much. And I can remember that little girl climbing up on that diving board and, you know, walking out like this and just she's so brave you know and there I was in the pool and I think G-Daddy was probably in the pool too and there we were here's this pool that her grandfather built himself he paid for it it was his and all that he wanted to do was please his family specifically his grandkids the pool was for them 
free gift. And here's this little girl walks out on that diving board and her little toes, I'll never forget it, little toes hanging over that diving board. There's dad, I'm right there in the pool getting ready for her to jump in and there she is. Now, I want to pause right there because I want that picture to remain in your head as we move into Numbers chapter 13. We're in this series that we started last week on the life of this great, iconic, biblical leader, the great leader Joshua, strong and courageous. And, you know, during these times, man, the world seems to be in chaos. Uh, I'm telling you, the church has got to rise up. Uh, We need Christian leaders more than ever right now. And those of you who are watching and you're a follower of Jesus, that means you. And so what better uh, uh, model could we ever have than looking at someone like Joshua, who in the middle of all kinds of turmoil amongst his own community in that ancient world, and I'm telling you, they had some struggles. The children of Israel had some problems. They had some conflict. They dealt with pandemic-type sickness within them. They dealt with all kinds of uh, issues amongst them. They dealt with racial issues coming out of Egypt. And so, man, I tell you what, what a perfect, what a perfect uh, leader to study. Joshua. And here we are, Numbers 13. The children of Israel had left actually they've been rescued by God through the leadership of Moses and Aaron out of slavery 400 years of slavery in Egypt and they escaped that and now they have spent a full year in the wilderness during that year they crossed the Red Sea during that time they watched Pharaoh's army all drown during that time God provided them food daily during that time he led them by a cloud during the day and and a a pillar of of fire during the night they had experienced the supernatural power of God they knew the promises of God in fact they knew where they were headed they were headed to the land of Canaan, the promised land. They, 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 they were on mission and they knew where they were going and they spent some time uh, around Mount Sinai and Moses had come down with the Ten Commandments. And now here they are. They're at the edge of the diving board. They're looking out across the river. They can see the promised land and their toes are hanging over the side and all they're ready to do is cannonball into the land that God was about to give them. But they noticed that there was some opposition that was standing between them and where God wanted to take them. It was giants, giants. And in that moment, they begin to realize that There was giants that they were about to face that would end up ultimately, to their demise, keeping them out of the promised land. That generation wouldn't enter in. You know, on that summer day in Georgia, my little four-year-old man didn't hesitate. That little girl leaped off that diving board into the water, into her father's arms. The question is, why was she able to do that? The reason for that is because she believed in the words that I had said. 
She trusted that when she jumped into that pool, it was going to be awesome. We had been talking about it for weeks on the airplane, talked about how good the pool was going to feel, how incredible, how exhilarating it would be to leap off of that diving board into the pool that her grandfather built and owned, who was giving it as a gift to her. And for whatever reason, these Israelites, they lost sight. They stopped believing They quit putting their faith and their hope and their trust in their heavenly father and they begin to rely on their own human brokenness and they missed the opportunity. You know, all throughout scripture, we read that we are called to walk by faith. What's that all about? Well, walking by faith is simply trusting in what God has already said through his word taking steps of faith that maybe feel uncomfortable or scary and relying on God because we are his children and he is our father. Just like you moms and dads, when you say, son, daughter, do this, and they do it, sometimes they ask, why, why? But when they do it, they see the results in their life and they Not always need an explanation. Why? Because they just trust in their parents. And the Israelites miss this. And scripture says we are to walk by faith and not by sight. We're to walk by faith and not allow fear to direct our steps. And as we look at this part of this uh, long story in Joshua, this specific section in Numbers 13, we see this playing out in the lives of the Israelites. And you're going to see here that there was some giants that got in the way and ultimately uh, the Israelites succumbed to their, their power. And yes, there was some physical giants, but I'm talking about more of a, a spiritual giant. So I've got three that I want you to uh, take note of today um, before we go. And that is the, the first giant was the giant named Payment not the one named possession. They succumb to the giant named payment, not the one named possession. Let's go to the text. Numbers 13, starting in verse 1, says this. The Lord said to Moses, send some men to explore the land of Canaan. Now underline this part because it's so important. Which I am giving, shout giving in your man cave, which I am giving to the Israelites. From each ancestral tribe, send one of its leaders. Verse 3. So at the Lord's command, Moses sent them out from the desert of Paran. All of them were leaders of the Israelites. Now, these leaders were the leaders of the 12 different tribes of Israel. Uh, And two of these leaders were the leaders of two tribes. Maybe you know these names, Joshua and Caleb. Uh, they're, they're also referred to as not just leaders, but specifically uh, in this story, they're, they're also known as the, the, the 12 spies. And so Moses says, hey, uh, you guys, go spy, go check out this land that God is about to give us. Uh, go see everything that's in this land uh, that we're about to possess. We, I, hey, we're, it's, it's already ours. 
we just want the details so we can kind of know what's going to happen. And so sure enough, uh, these spies, these leaders, they head out to the land and scripture says they come back with a report. Let's go to the text. Verse 26 of chapter 13 says they came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them and the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. They're about to receive a gift from God. This promised land and the scripture says that it was flowing with milk and honey. Honey. And really, that just translates to it had all the resources that anyone could ever need and even want. It was all there. There was more than enough for everybody. There were cities that already had all the infrastructure in place, meaning, uh, uh, you know, uh, structures, buildings in their context, place, uh, homes. Everything was already there. They wouldn't even have to build anything. The crops were already there. The seeds had already been planted. And all that they were required to do was simply step out in faith, enter into the land, and the Lord was going to give them possession of it. But you'll see their humanity kicks in and they can't believe it. And far too often in our own lives, this happens to us. Because we live in such a transactional society, meaning really the only way that we can get stuff is through a payment process. I pay you this, you give me this. And that's fine due to the economic situation that we live in, but man, it becomes problematic when it begins to bleed over into our relationship with God. And we see this begin to play out in the Israelites. And friends, right now I want to say this. Some of you are missing out on the promises of God because you feel too undeserving. You say, promises of God? What are you talking about? Well, open up the Bible. He has so many promises that you have access to and you're not even earning them. He just wants to give them to you. He's a God of good things provision, protection, safety, restoration, healing. I'm telling you, the promises of God are for you. You have access to them. And it's not on your own mind. It's not, it's not something that you can just earn. I'm telling you, it's, these are gifts that he has for you. But some of you are like, man, I, I, don't, I don't deserve that stuff. Pastor Ashley was talking about that. Some of you, maybe due to a religious environment that you grew up in, or maybe you grew up in another faith where depending on how good you live, the morality that you, that you, uh, that you uh, pursue, that will get you into an eternal life situation where there's a you know, paradise and based on how well you live, you get to assert all of these different things, man. But man, when it comes to following Jesus, that's not the case because Jesus paid your entire price for you. Paid the price of sin in your life because of what Jesus did. And I'm telling you right now, there's some of you that are missing out because you haven't just freely accepted God's word and the truth and everything that he has for you. So there's this giant named Payment 
And we see it here. They, they, you're you're going to see here, they're going to see these giants and they're going to think to themselves, we, we got to do something about this. So that's the first thought that I have. This giant named payment, not the one named possession. Here's the second giant that kept the children of Israel out of the promised land as the giant named pessimism, not the one named possibility. They accepted this spiritual giant named pessimism and not the one named possibility. Pessimism is the tendency to see, anticipate, or emphasize only bad or undesirable outcomes, results, conditions, and problems. And I want you to know the giant named pessimism will starve your giant named faith if you let him. I want you to know there's some good giants too. Giant of possibility, man. I'm telling you. Uh, uh, the, the giant of faith. The giant of hope. I'm telling you. But man, pessimism will starve out that giant of faith in your life. And this giant lurks around the church constantly. Any new idea to reach people with the gospel. Any new method of discipling people with the, with the knowledge of scripture and the words of Christ. The, the, the giant of pessimism will always raise his voice and say it can't be done. Forget it. It won't work. The people aren't going to receive it. And I want you to know this giant of pessimism is starving the church here in America. Because this voice of you, you can't do it that way. We've never done it that way. We've always done it this way. I'm telling you, this giant of pessimism lurks around every local church and you can either starve it or it'll starve you. And you see this in this story where this giant of pessimism has infiltrated the minds, the hearts, the spirit of this community of God's people. Look at this, Numbers chapter 13. Look at verse 27. Scripture says, here, these are the spies, the leaders. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here's its fruit. But the people who live there, but, there's that word, but, uh, but the people who live there are powerful. Pessimism. This is, this is pessimism. It's rising up right now. Don't, don't miss it. The people who live in that place, they're giants. They're powerful. Their, city, their cities are fortified. They're very large. Verse 31, skip down. But the men who had gone up with him said, we can't attack these people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said, the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we see there are of great size. We see the Nephilim there. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes and we looked the same to them. So the first thing these spies do is to show the fruit of God's promises. They come back with evidence that the word they received from God was indeed true. It was like, in fact, you can, you can read more in depth. Uh, the spies came back and they, had, they were carrying this massive bushel of grapes. Not, not just proof that the, watch this, not just 
proof that the fruit actually existed, but this was a different kind of fruit. I'm talking about this was fruit in excess. This was fruit that they had never seen before, meaning the promises that God had for them on the other side were so grand that they wouldn't even be able to wrap their mind around it unless they would have brought it back. And so here they come back with this fruit. They blow everybody's mind. It's proof. And that was a good thing that they did that. That was the first good step that they showed the evidence of God's word being true and the giant possibilities that laid ahead. But we just read that three-letter word. And that is, but. But creeps in. And but, that word but, is a problem. Because not only did they see the blessings, they also became obsessed with the obstacles. It became more about the obstacles than the blessing that God had planned for them. And what's fascinating here is that they were actually telling the truth regarding these giants. Historians will tell you that the people of Canaan uh, were over 10 feet tall, some of them reaching 12 feet tall. So the problem wasn't the spies communicating the facts that there were indeed giants in the land, but rather the lack of faith in doing so. They came back and said, there's giants in the land. Now, that's true. But if they would have been seeing through the lenses of God's faith in their life, they would have said, there's giants. Woohoo! Giants in the land. Oh boy, they got a problem now because God's people, we've shown up and man, the giant in our life is the biggest of them all. Jehovah Jireh, our provider who goes before us, man, bring them all on. Here we go. They dropped that. They defaulted back to their human fearful perspective. They somehow in that moment forgot all that God had promised them. In that moment, they let go of faith. They took on the giant of pessimism into their life. It's not going to happen. Forget it. We're not doing it, Moses. We can't do it. And this is going to spiral out of control. This giant of pessimism. We can't attack these people. They're stronger than we are. And I find that response from the spies very interesting because the direction from God was never to attack, but rather to acquire what was already theirs. In their mind, they thought that they were walking into a transactional situation, that they were going to have to fight and attack within their own might, but God uh, he even promised that he would go ahead and fight the battle for them if they would just obey what he's saying, just move forward. And God was about to devour them. But they didn't believe it. They lost sight of it. The problem they had was all in their focus. They took their eyes of God, off of God and things got bad really fast. There's always going to be giants blocking us from God's promises. They, however, are not the problem. The problem is how we see them and how we see our big God. Notice their perspective. Go back to verse 28. They said, the people who live there are powerful and the cities are fortified and very large. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes and we looked the same to them. Pessimists always look at how big the problem is and how small they are. And that's what happens here. The spies lost faith in God. They 
they, they stopped believing what he had promised and it spread like wildfire is what the scripture says into the entire camp. Three million people were, effect, were affected by this giant of pessimism except for two guys, two guys named Joshua and Caleb. These two leaders had a totally different perspective on the entire situation. And in the middle of the bad report of the other 10 spies, these guys speak up. And look specifically what Caleb says in verse 30. Scripture says, Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, We should go up and take possession of the land. There's that word again. Take possession Take the promise, acquire exactly what God has already laid out for us. Take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. I love that. But this fear, man, this pessimism, it's toxic. Fear and lies are so toxic, and they have the power of just spreading so quickly. See it so often just even in the local church. Rumors and, and, and false narratives and, and all of this stuff, man, just boom, 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 boom. And this is what's happening right here. But Caleb realizes what's going on and he essentially says, shut up, be quiet. We know what God has already said. Let's go, let's move out in faith. Let's take what is already ours. Let's possess it right now. Surely, surely, certainly we can do it. And what he was doing in that moment, he was trying to inter, interject faith back into that community. He was trying to say these promises that we've heard about, that we've been trained in, I'm telling you right now, they're from God and they are God. Don't allow your human instincts to get you killed. You're gonna get killed. If you don't obey God in this moment right now, this is exactly what Caleb was saying. I'm a, I love X Games, um, like ESPN X Games. Can't ride a skateboard to save my life. It's very dangerous. All of that kind of stuff is pretty cool, but I just don't have the, that skill set. In fact, surfing, man, I've always wanted to do that. In fact, I think when we were on our 10-year um, anniversary, you know, we, we got some surfboards and I, uh, like three times I was done, man. I just forget it. I can't do it, you know? And a true story. And it's, you know, humiliating, okay? And, uh, but man, I'm just, I, I'm like obsessed with the surf world and culture. And I like to watch anything that they're competing. And I especially like the big wave surfing. Like, you know, those famous places, those waves like Mavericks and, and that big famous wave called Jaws and the North Shore in Honolulu. And there's places like in, you know, Peru where, the, you know, the world's large. And I'm just fat. I mean, it's just incredible to watch that. These guys, right, they get towed in. There's a jet ski. I mean, I don't even know how these guys get in a mindset to, to want to do this. And, you know, they've got the life jacket on and the all this stuff, and they're getting towed in, and you watch them, they, they, they come up over the top of like this 100-footer, and they just, they're, they're literally, this is them saying, I want to die right now, because if, you know, you take a spill off a 100-foot, it's, you're going to be in a pretty, pretty tight situation, so, and they come flying down that thing, and I'm always like, oh my word, he's going to fall, right, and what's fascinating about this, I did, I did a little bit of, of reading and research this week on big wave surfing, 
uh, and uh, because I have nothing else to do. That's not true. I've got a lot to do, but I'm fascinated by it. But anyway, I was reading, I listened to some different interviews on YouTube where part, of course, part of the training is actually riding the waves, but a huge part of it is knowing how to fall (laughs) and knowing what you do when you're pushed, you know, so many feet down into the water and, and the water's continuing to push you down and there's all these different, you know, uh, breathing techniques to help you hold your breath and not only that, uh, get into the right mindset that you gotta be, you might, you might be down there for a couple of minutes that literally feel like an eternity. So often, if you don't remember in that moment all of the training, you don't allow yourself to kick in that training, um, your, 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 your human instinct, instinct just wants to survive. And these guys talked about how like your brain, it's like a war in your brain because all you want to do is get to the top. The problem with that is most of the time it's scientifically impossible. You know, thousands of pounds of water pushing you down and you're trying to get up. And in that moment you can panic, listen to this, you can panic and just breathe in that water and it'll kill you like that. So the training has to kick in. You have to allow the water to push you down. And then you have to get to a place where you're steady, where you're balanced. You have to control your thoughts and then begin the breathing exercises inside of you. And and that's what truly saves you. You You can't just respond to your human instinct or it'll get you killed. What, what am I saying here? It's, it's so important to go back to your training, the things that you were taught and you learned. And specifically in this context, we see this playing out in the, in the children of Israel, right? We, we, we see that they're starting to get really afraid. And really, that's my third giant as the band comes back that I want to talk to you about today. This giant is the giant that truly kept them out of the promised land. And that is the giant named Panic, not the one named Poise. In this moment where they see the giants, the pessimism kicks in. They begin to panic. Fear overtakes them. And we see this play out. They accept the giant of panic. They don't accept the one named Poise. That word Poise, I love that word Poise. That word Poise really means balanced. It means stable. It means the pursuit of peace. It's, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's being grounded. It's, it's having the right perspective. It's, it's pursuing calmness. And in that moment, if they would have taken on the giant named Poise, a whole lot of different um, outcomes would have taken place. In that moment when the surfer's being thrust down, she has to have poise or it can get her killed she has to go back to the training and right here Caleb is saying you already have the training you you already know what God said ground yourself man and in, in our context as followers of Jesus that's the that's really that that poise uh most of the time isn't anything that we can really do on our own it's it's the Holy Spirit at work inside of us it's it's a supernatural like in that moment, and I've been in some moments where I'm like in panic mode and I didn't know what else to do but other than just say, Jesus, I need you right now. I mean, I, I don't have time to try to describe to you what exactly happened, but there was like this peace that came over me. I knew I wouldn't have been able to do that on my own. And what that did was it, it like, it cleared my mind up. It, it like, 
was like, oh, okay. It, it allowed room for the right, supernatural, righteous thought, God's thoughts, to be downloaded into my brain, which resulted in, in uh, the right decisions. Look at the text. Watch this panic take place. Numbers 14. It says, that night all the members of the community, they raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole assembly said to them, if only we died in Egypt or in the wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, look at this. We should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. What's happening there? The, the panic, the giant named Panic took over in that moment. An irrational thought, thought opposite of God's thoughts entered into their mind. And they started irrational, uh, false, you know, toxic conversation to the point that they're asking maybe we should get a different leader. This Moses guy isn't working out for us. And let's just go back to the hell that we just spent for 400 years. This is what panic does, right? You can keep going there. Uh, verse 5. Joshua, son of Nun and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had explored the land, tore their clothes and said to the entire Israelite assembly, the land we pass through and explore is exceedingly good. He's, the, look at, look at the, the supernatural giant of poise that stabilizes the moment. He says, guys, remember, this is a good thing. If the Lord is pleased with us, he'll lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, all the stuff that you could ever want. And he's going to give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not be afraid of the people. Don't be afraid of the people of the land because we will devour them. Their protection is gone. The Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. In this moment of panic, the poise of Joshua, the grounding of Caleb, they speak up. They speak up in that moment. And let me tell you right now, if ever there was a time where we need strong women of God, courageous men of God filled with the Holy Spirit to speak up, it's right now. You talk about chaos that we're in. You talk about irrational conversations. You talk about panic and fear and pandemic and racial, uh, ra racial uh, unrest in our, in our communities. I'm telling you right now, the church, it's time for you to, it's time for, uh, I'm talking to myself too, man. It's time for us to begin to speak up. Allow the poise of the Holy Spirit, allow the Holy Spirit to speak through you.
Man, I'm telling you, there's power in your words. And there's even more power in the words of God. And he wants to speak through you. And this is exactly what Joshua says here. They remind the people that God will follow through on his promise if they would simply follow through on their commitment to obey his words. And man, I love Disney movies so much. (coughs) I really do. Why do I love them so much? Well, they always have a happy ending. This story doesn't have have a happy ending. You can read the rest of chapter 14. That giant named Panic had already run his course through the people and it was too late. As you read down, you can read all of Numbers 14. You're going to see that God gets so upset with the people that he doesn't allow them to enter into the promised land. In fact, God decides to let that generation die off in the wilderness. They spend 40 years in the wilderness until everyone 20 and over died out. And we're going to continue this series and there, there's, some, there's some hope down the road, but not, not, in, not in this part of the trilogy, if you will. We're going to find out that Joshua takes over for Moses and eventually does lead this new generation. And, man, I was, I was meditating on this thought that I'm about to say right now. And this is a, this is a wake-up call to the church. This is a warning to the church. And that, and that is this. If... One generation won't fulfill the assignments, won't do what God is saying. I promise you, he'll use the next one. That's all there is to it. And so now, right now, church, I'm telling you, and I'm a part of this generation, it is time to rise up humble ourselves, repent before God, fix relationships that have been severed that was our fault, that we can have a lot to do with, to embrace uh, every person, to love, to serve, to put our preferences aside, to put our political differences aside and focus on kingdom work. Such a time, we, we don't have enough time. We're out of time. The church has got to rise up right now. We got to come together. We got to keep all of our our, our little discrepancies and our philosophies and the way we see it and what we think and our individualism, our pride, our selfishness. Man, this country promotes that and it's killing us. The kingdom is a collective kingdom. It isn't individuals. I'm telling you, we come together for the greater good. And I'm telling you, it's got to start in the church. I'm telling you, we will never see revival in this land until the church gets it together. That's what I'm saying here. And now's the moment. I'm telling you, he will pass on and he'll he'll use another job. I don't want want that. I I think this is the moment. And And I don't say that uh, with a fist of condemnation, what I'm saying, this is, this is, a, this is a coaching moment. This is, a, this, is, this is what he's saying right now. We can't panic. We got to ask for the Holy Spirit, for his poise, for his balance, for his guidance, for his direction in our lives. Let, let, me, 
Let me pray for somebody in here today. Maybe you're watching and you're at a crossroads in your own life where you've been in that wilderness for 40 years. You, you've been in that desert, that dry place. But the difference between the wilderness that you're in and the wilderness that the children of Israel were in was God wasn't leading you in yours and the one that you're in right now because you wouldn't let him. Was, was, he, was he always there? Is he? Of course he is. But he doesn't force himself on you. And today, maybe you're at a place, you're at a crossroads where you say, I, I need that fire by night. I need that cloud to guide me through the day. I, I need direction. I'm, I'm, I am aimless out here. I'm lost. I need healing. Man, these cravings, these addictions, they, they rule my life. My pursuit of, of just more stuff, greed, selfishness, my way or the highway, I'm telling you, it's gotten me nowhere. You, you might be sitting you know, by your pool right now. You might be lounging on your jet ski. You might have all the money and power that you could ever uh, think that you could attain and you're, you're dead inside, you're done. What is that? That is the absence of God in your life. And today, my friend, just like the first point that I made, you, 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 can, you, you can take possession of the free gift of salvation. That's, that's, that's why Jesus came. Heavenly Father gave this beautiful gift of his one and only son to die for the sin of humanity, my sin, your sin, and you can receive that right now. Take possession of all that he has for you. I'm gonna pray for you. If that's you, pray a little prayer like this. Jesus, I just relinquish. I, I, I let go of my ways. I, I let go of my flesh and my carnal pursuit of life. God, I repent of my sins. Meaning, that just simply is, I was pursuing sin and now I'm turning around. I'm going in the other direction for the things that you have for me. God, wash me clean. Thank you for your blood that was shed for me. I receive you. I believe in you. I believe you that you are the son of God, that you are the Messiah of the world. I believe that you died. You rose again and that one day you're coming back. You're coming back to take us to be home with you. I receive that in Jesus' name. And now one more prayer for my friend that's watching. You're a follower of Jesus. But due to all kinds of circumstances, Maybe it's directly connected to this past, you know, four or five months with this pandemic where, where it's gone past anxiety, it's gone past fear. You're, you're in panic mode now. Maybe, maybe the, the stuff that you see in this world with these racial issues and I, I don't know, maybe it's a, you've lost your job. Maybe you're dealing with a bad doctor's report. And, and pan, you've allowed the giant of panic to take rule in your heart. And today, you, you want to reject that and you want to take on the Holy Spirit and his, his unbelievably powerful poise that will balance you during those rough moments of the storm, that will ground you, that will anchor you not only to the foundation of who God is, 
but his son, Jesus, who is our cornerstone. Maybe that's you today where you're like, I need that anchoring in my life. I've, I've let it go. I've allowed the giant, man, of panic to take over and the enemy is teeing off on me. Right now, I'm gonna pray for you. Wherever you're at, in, in your living room, in your apartment, maybe you're on a walk with your dog, just stop right now. Just stop walking and just receive this prayer and, 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 and take it on for your own self. Lord, I just pray for my friend right now. They love you. Some of them have walked with you for years. And they've allowed this giant of, of panic, of anxiety, of fear to, to take a deep root in, in their heart where every decision they make is out of a place of fear, out of a place of panic. They've stopped asking you for your, your poise and your grounding and your Holy Spirit. And so what has happened as their, their, their thought process has become irrational and toxic and distorted, which, which, trans, which transfers over into conversations with other like-minded, fearful, panicking friends. And then that gets, and that spreads. And then now they're making decisions based out of a place of complete panic. Never one time calling on you, God, in my own life. I repent of that. Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would help my friend right now to regain perspective to call on you, to anchor themselves in you. In Jesus' name, bless my friends. God, we thank you for your word today. God, we thank you that not only is this your word, but it's, a, it's, a, it's an actual historical account of people that were just like us with all of the same issues and problems and hangups and excuses and opinions. God, I just pray, God, that we would Look at this, take the principles and apply them to our lives so that we won't make these same mistakes, that, so that we can indeed walk into all that you have for us. Thank you for your word in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen. So good. Giants, giants, you can't get strong or courageous without facing giants. We have some questions for you, whether you're in a small group, a virtual small group, or a watch party, or um, you're just maybe journaling yourself with the Holy Spirit, journaling the answers down. We would love for you to meditate on these. We're going to toss them on the screens, and you can uh, screenshot them, or you can take a picture of your TV with your phone, or copy-paste them from the comments. The first question is, what has God promised you? You know, I honestly, side note, I really do find this so interesting that most Christians, when you ask them that, they don't even know that answer. And I need for you to understand that these answers, this specifically, God's promises for your life, some are found in Scripture, some the Lord will speak directly to you. So I'd love for you to ask that question and write down what you hear the Lord saying to you in His Word or in your own life. What do you believe is keeping you from possessing what he has promised? What's keeping you from possessing everything that he says is yours? Number two, do you tend to see more possibilities or more pessimism in situations? We all have that natural slant, right? Why do you believe that's the case? Is it that God desires? Is that what God desires your response to be? Whatever your response is, do you really feel like it's what God desires your response to be? Number three, we have all been in panic-inducing situations. What are three truths that you can write down and keep close to help you stay grounded for stressful situations in the future? I have a notes app 
on my uh, smartphone. And I have to tell you that not only do I write those promises down in my notes, in fact, the Lord gives me sermons typically as I'm going through the day, and I write those in my notes too, but I hear the Lord speak promises that are specifically that, that rhema, that right now word for me, and I'll put them in my notes and my phone so that I can go back and reflect on them. And, I, and also when I'm in really healthy spaces in my mental health, right, in my spiritual health, I'll write truths down that I can scroll back to and, and remember in those moments of panic, in those moments of, of walking through something super stressful. So I, I want to encourage you to do the same thing, whether it's in your phone or in a journal or, hey, maybe you want to put it on your wall. <laughs> Whatever the Lord's speaking to you. Thanks again for joining us. To hear more messages like this one, be sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel. For more content and to connect with us, go to cfan.church. 